Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, is quite a confusing little portion of Scripture. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's so much in it. But it's written in a way that we're not terribly used to. So I'll summarize it for you, if, if I can take the liberty. Paul is saying where once there was Jew and Gentile because of Jesus, we are now united. That because of Jesus, we are all members of God's family. We together are, the, are his house built on the foundation, the cornerstone, if you will, of Jesus himself. He is the basis, the, the, um, the foundation, the beginning, the, the platform from which we grow. And we grow together. There is no more Jew nor Gentile. And so um, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of growing God's family. It was a, a title screen on the screen yesterday at the church's APCM. Uh, for those of you who are eagle-eyed and awake at that time in the morning uh, to, to spot it and to remember it, um, it was there intentionally. Um, to sort of like a, a little sneak preview and a hint of what's to come. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to unpack that. We're going to look at that because we feel like that's actually quite a significant call from the Lord over us. I mean, on one hand, it's just really obvious, isn't it? Jesus says, go make disciples. We're not meant to be a, 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 you know, a little country club that, that hides in isolation. We're not a persecuted church. And even the persecuted church around the world goes out somehow and shares the news of Jesus and they grow. We're, we're meant to be a growing family. You know, um, so on one hand, it's really obvious, but on the other hand, we actually feel Lydia and I have, have in our times of prayer recently, we've really felt like God has been really been impressing that upon our hearts that we're to grow God's family. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as what we think it looks like and how we want to approach it, because it's not just about growing services. That's not necessarily the same thing as growing God's family. Um, but so today I just want to give a very brief introduction to the idea of it all. Um, sort of put down a little bit of a, a theological, um, biblical basis for why we think this is important and why we're going to go the way we're going to go. Uh, and then over the coming weeks we're going to unpack it. So let's start, I suppose, with the beginning. Because it's always good to begin at the beginning, isn't it? Unless you're some sort of indie filmmaker, then the beginning is a helpful place to go. And like I said, the concept of family, of God's family, is, is scattered throughout the Bible. But you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to go through every book and every chapter looking at it, because we'd be here for a long time. Um, but we will start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then we read all the animals are made. And then finally, ladies, you come along and set the world to rights and set it straight for us. But here's the thing, right? God says it's not right for man to be alone. But this is pre-fall. This is while Adam is still in the Garden of Eden. There is no sin in the world according to the scriptures at this point. 
There is no wrong thing in this world. Adam is walking in intimacy, physically face to face with God himself. And yet, and yet God says it's not good for him to be alone. If we jump back a little bit even more to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 to 27, we read this. Then God, and in in the original writing, God is singular, said, let us, which is plural, make human beings in our image to be like us. We are made as a reflection of God, and God That verse is the very first hint and and idea of God being the three-in-one God, the Trinity. God has made us to be in relationship, just like he is in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he's made us for relationship, not just with him, but with one another. And so this idea of relationship is really important. And in fact, in Psalm 68, verse 6, we read that God sets the lonely in churches? No. In programs? No. In families, it says. God sets the lonely in families. Because programs are, are, are well and good and right and true. And, and, and church gatherings are right and good and true. But there is something about family. That is even better because family isn't limited to a specific time of the week of gathering, is it? And actually, in the Old Testament, um, do I do a do I do a trick question? Here's a trick question. So don't it's a trick question. okay? so don't answer it out loud. Answer it in your head. But if I say who's the greatest character in the Old Testament apart from God? Obviously, the answer is always God or Jesus, right? We'll get on to Jesus in a second. But in the Old Testament specifically, who do you think is the greatest character? But don't answer out loud because it's a trick question. Now, you see, in the Western world, we're very individualistic. Culture is very individualistic. And so we tend to think very individualistically. But actually... The greatest character in the Old Testament after God is not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or David or or, or Deborah or Esther or, or any of these great characters of faith that we read about. It's actually the nation of Israel. And if you read the Old Testament, you will see that the whole point of it is about the creation of the nation of Israel, this people. This community who will be set apart to love God, be loved by God, and in their relationship, show the rest of the world and draw them in to that relationship with God. And unfortunately, the story does go that they fluff it every time and they become quite insular and quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry? There was a word, there's a word where you don't, exclusive, that's the word, uh, exclusive. Um, and, they, and, and, and unfortunately, they, they fluff it quite a lot. Okay, second trick question. 
In the New Testament, other than Jesus, the answer is always Jesus. Other than Jesus, who's the greatest character? Spoiler alert, it's not Paul. It's not any of the disciples. It's not Mary. It's the church. The whole focus of the Old Testament. Okay, I've gone with the Old Testament. I'll carry on with the Old Testament. The whole focus of the Old Testament is God creating the nation and the people of Israel to have relationship with them and to show those around him how to have relationship with them. The whole focus of the New Testament is Jesus coming and going, okay, let's do this again. But this time, everyone's invited. Anyone who wants to join can join from the get-go. And so the character, the greatest character in the New Testament after Jesus is the church, the gathered people who find themselves gathered in and for and because of Jesus. And the idea is that they gather and they live as family with God as the Father and in such a way that it is open and it invites and it draws others into the family. And so you get this, this concept of adoption throughout Scripture. And it's really significant and really important. And so we also see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what amazing love the Father has given us. Because of it, we are called children of God. And that is what we really are. In Galatians, Paul writes, because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. He is the Holy Spirit. And by his power, we, are, we call God Abba, which means father or dad. So you aren't a slave any longer. You are God's child. And because you are his child, God gives you the rights of those who are his children. The family of God, the people of God, United because and for Jesus, loved by the Father, is the key message. It's because of what Jesus has done. And so there is this new way. And then we see Jesus. If you look at Jesus, he's constantly trying to draw people in. He's constantly trying to show them the Father. And then he says this crazy thing in John chapter 15. Verses 12 to 17, he says this. Well, do you know, I'm going to go from 9. Let's go from verse 9. John chapter 15, 9 to, yeah, 9 to 17. Let's do that. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love, for, to, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because... A master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I told you everything that the father told me. And you didn't choose me. I chose you 
I appointed you to go to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. It's about building family. It's Jesus inviting us into his family and, and at the same time calling us friend. And then later, in John chapter 17, in Jesus' longest recorded prayer, it's not his only prayer that he prayed, you know, we've got the Lord's Prayer and all of that, and I'm sure Jesus prayed, there's countless mentions of Jesus going away to, to be with his Father to pray. But in the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, which is found in John chapter 17, the whole thing is essentially about unity for his bride, his people, the church. His followers, the disciples. A couple of verses from John, because the the whole of chapter 17 is his prayer. That's how long the prayer is, right? But here's a couple of verses, uh, just two or three. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. This is Jesus praying to the Father. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So there's this prayer that we will be one and it's so that the world will see and believe. A little bit, uh, that's, that's verse 21. Uh, verse 23, two verses later, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The Old Testament The greatest character after God is Israel, whose point and purpose was to have relationship with God and with one another in such a way that it was a witness to the nations around. In the New Testament, the greatest character after Jesus is the church who have found themselves belonging in and because and for Jesus who live in unity and love in such a way with one another and with God that the world sees and believes Jesus and is drawn into the family too. It's about growing and it's not about growing our family and the way we like to do things and the list goes on because it's not about any of that other than growing God's family. The bride of Jesus, the one whom he loves. So I'm going to come into land with this. Growing God's family is about walking life and faith. It's about sacrifice. And it's about being open and vulnerable. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick couple of scriptures just to highlight that. Feel free to move if the sun is in your eyes. It's it's a horrible little sunshine in your eyes in those spots. So feel free to move. I don't mind. That's cool. There we go. Much better. There we go. So it's about walking life and faith. It's about doing it sacrificially. It's about doing it vulnerably and openly. Two verses that I want to throw quickly, maybe three. Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Paul writes to the Roman church and in amongst a whole bunch of things, there's a whole bunch of greetings. This particular one stands out to me. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been like a mother to me. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 7 to 12, 
um, Paul writes, as a mother feeds and cares for her children, we cared for you. We loved you so much. We were happy to share with you God's good news. We were also happy to share our lives with you. Brothers and sisters, I am sure you remember how hard we worked. We labored night and day while we preached to you God's good news. We didn't want to cause you any expense. You are witnesses of how we lived among you believers. God is also a witness that we were holy and godly and without blame. And you know we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We gave you hope and strength. We comforted you. We really wanted you to live in a way that is worthy of God because he chooses you to enter his glorious kingdom. We've got this idea of mothers and fathers, of Paul going, look, I, this woman was like a mother to me. And, and do you remember how we treated you like a mother cares for her kids or like how a father cares for his children. He encourages and strengthens. We encourage and strengthens you. I'm a dad, as you well know, and most of us have parents. And some of us are even parents. And some of us are even grandparents. Whoop! And even great-grandparents. Oh, my days. There we go. And you know that parenting is not easy. You cannot be a good parent and be selfish. It just doesn't go that way. And here Paul is saying, guys, I treated you like you were my kids. Because God treats us like we are his kids. And so we see that actually being in as a church family is something where it's quite sacrificial. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a precedent and a highlight and an important thing, being family. You don't just get to walk away from it. And when you do, when people do walk away from families, it's always a sad, sad thing. And so we read in the Bible that actually being family is costly. And here's the other thing, right, about being open and vulnerable. Jesus is recorded twice as crying, Right? Once when his friend Lazarus is dead, and the other time we read of his te- well, actually there's a couple of places we read him shedding tears over the over the Jerusalem, you know, and he says, "Oh, like a mother hen wants to protect their children under her wings. I want, I wish you would, but you kept persecuting the prophets who were there, you know, coming before you to to tell of me and all this." And, but then, but then we read Jesus takes three of his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. Jesus is under huge, huge distress at that point. Yeah, he's, he is hard-pressed at the very least. So hard-pressed that he sweats blood. But he doesn't do it by himself. He doesn't go, oh, do you know what? This is too much. I just need to, you guys stay there. I'm going to go and I'm just going to get myself sorted. And when I'm sorted, I'll come back. He invites his friends to be with them in his hardship. And I think that's, one of, that's a really interesting thing and a really a key thing is that as church families, we need to be honest. We shouldn't run away in our pain. But we also need to be open to people sharing their pains with us because life is painful. And so I said I'd come into land and I've been hovering for a while. I'm sorry. Um, Growing God's family. Being in God's family is about living life, walking life and walking faith, doing it sacrificially, 
doing it with openness and vulnerability towards one another. Okay? It's about growing closer to God, both as an individual but also corporately. And it's about growing closer with one another. And we do it in such a way that by our unity and by our love, the outside world will look, will see, will be drawn in, but we will be loving one another with space between us so that others can come and join into the family because we're not a closed group. We're not a closed or family. And I'm going to finish with this. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's pray together. And I'm going to flow from this into our intercessions as well.